We're essentially on Chavzayin Amabez. We have two words left on Chavzayin Amad Aleph. Uh, 27b1 in the Art Scroll Gemara. The Gemara, for now, for the next couple of lines, is continuing with the discussion of Chalitza Psula. Chalitza Psula, as we've discussed for the last couple of recordings, is the idea that when there is a situation where uh, you're not allowed to do Yibam, you're not allowed to do Yibam, and you have to do Chalitza, so then that's called a weakened Chalitza, a Chalitza Psula. It's a weaker form, and therefore, uh, according to Shmuel, we saw that there's a dispute about the implications of this weaker type of a chalitza. But according to Shmuel, uh, chalitza has to be done, or should be done, with the one that has uh, a strong zika, a stronger connection, a, a good form of, uh, of chalitza, where there's the option of doing yibam. And there are various details within that that we've discussed in the past. The Gemara, for the next couple of lines, asks the following question. They ask, If we have the following case, we have the following case where a, a regular case, a husband passes away without any children, he's married to two women. He's married to two women. Uh, they are not related. The regular case where he's married to two women um, and he passes away and then there's a, there's a living brother. Uh, so what the living brother does, this is the case, is that he gives a get, a divorce document, to one of the sisters-in-law, and then he also does ma'amar uh, to the other uh, to the other sister-in-law. So he gives a get to one sister-in-law, and he does ma'amar, which is the rabbinic form of an engagement, to the other sister-in-law. Now the law is in that case is that once you give a get, as we mentioned in the last recording, the giving of a get on a Torah level is meaningless. Uh, a get is a divorce document when you're actually married. There, nobody is actually married yet. What, what is needed on a Torah level is chalitza. But the giving a get, at least on a rabbinic level, they said once you give a get, so then you have to do chalitza. Because once you already started the process, at least on a rabbinic level, by giving a divorce document, so then you have to do chalitza. But the law is not only do you have to do chalitza, but even if there are two sisters-in-law, if the, the husband had two wives, so then you're not allowed to do yibam to either one. You're not allowed to do yibim even to the one that you did not give a get to. You also cannot do yibim. So with regards to the sister-in-law that he did mamar to, he had this rabbinic engagement, he still has to do chalitza. Because once you start the process for one, so then it's as if chalitza is required. Once chalitza is required, so then uh, the chalitza would be required for all of the sisters-in-law. So we basically have a scenario here where... One sister-in-law he gave a divorce document to. The other sister-in-law he had a rabbinic engagement. It was a form of a, a rabbinic halachic engagement, a ma'amar. And he has to give chalitza. He has to do chalitza now. And so the question is, which one should he do chalitza to? Based on the principle of chalitza psula, he's not allowed to do even with either one. He's not allowed to do even with either one, so this is a weaker form of chalitza. The question is, which one is the stronger zika? Which one has the stronger connection? Uh, the one that he had this rabbinic engagement to, or the one that uh, that he gave a divorce document to. And so uh, you might be thinking that certainly the one that he has a stronger connection to is the one that he had a rabbinic engagement with. Uh, and that has the stronger connection. And so that is a true point, uh, that uh, by giving the divorce document that sort of weakened the one he gave a divorce document to, that weakens their connection, and the one that he had 
uh, got engaged to a, a rabbinic engagement to that would strengthen the connection. And this is all based on, on the commentary of the Ritva. He says, however, uh, there's also other factors to take into account, which is that if you gave a get, so then all that is necessary once you give the get to that, to that first sister-in-law is chalitza. Chalitza finishes the process right away. However, if you had a rabbinic engagement, we mentioned this in the last recording, once you have that rabbinic engagement and you have a stronger connection, so then more is necessary on a rabbinic level to undo that. And so it's not enough just to do chalitza, but you first have to do chalitza, and then afterwards, chalitza gets rid of the connection on a biblical level, but then on a rabbinic level, you also have to give a divorce document. You have to give a get. So the chalitza, even though it's a stronger connection, but the chalitza doesn't accomplish as much. It doesn't completely remove the connection because you still require on a rabbinic level a divorce document. However, with regards to the sister-in-law that you already gave the divorce document to, so that all you need is chalitza, and then chalitza finishes everything. So there are uh, sides in both directions to say why each one should be stronger and each one should be weaker. And that's really the question of the Gemara. Uh, so let's see this inside the Gemara. The Gemara says, Bailas get Adifa, should we say that the one that you that you gave a get to, a divorce document to, it's better to do chalitza with her, Mishim Ba because you already started the chalitza process. Once you already started the chalitza process, uh, by giving a get, by giving a divorce document, so you just have to complete it by giving chalitza alone. And maybe that's why it's better to do chalitza with her, because chalitza at least finishes everything off. As opposed to the sister-in-law that you had a rabbinic engagement with, so with regards to that sister-in-law, more is required. You have to give, do chalitza, and you then afterwards have to give a divorce document. Or do we say, Maybe we should say that with regards to the sister-in-law that you had a rabbinic engagement with, she you should do chalitza to her. Why? Because she does have, in the end of the day, she does have a closer relationship. By having this rabbinic engagement, uh, you now have a closer relationship. So what is the answer? Which one should we do? Each one has reasons to assume that they have that chalitza should be done towards them. And once you do chalitza to one, so then it, it should exempt the other one. So Amr Ravashi says, I can prove to you the following, based on the following. Tashma, come and learn a brisa. We have the following brisa that says as follows. Umoda Ramagam Liel Shiyeshget Achar Maimar Umaimar Achar Get. Liel says elsewhere that in a scenario where uh, same, let's say, similar case, uh, um, a man passes away without any children, he has two wives, there's a live brother, uh, and uh, Rabbi Gamliel says as follows. He says that even though he holds that, let's say you gave a get to one, you gave a get to one, so now you have to do chalitza with her. And then you gave a get to the other one. So Rabbi Gamliel is of the opinion that if you give a get to the other one, so then that get is deemed um, just invalid, meaningless, because since you already gave a get to one, the divorce document to one, so giving the divorce document to the other one is meaningless. Um, and it's it's meaningless in the sense that it doesn't doesn't even impact uh, your relationship with her and her relatives. It would be permissible for you to marry her relatives. Um, and so it, it's really, it's viewed as meaningless if one gives a get to one and then a get to the other. However, he agrees that if one gave a divorce document to one and then did ma'amar to the other, even though you already gave a divorce document, and so therefore you have to do chalitza anyways, but the ma'amar is viewed as halachically valid. It's a halachically valid ma'amar, meaning 
if you want to do chalitza with her, ultimately, you would have to do chalitza and give a divorce document. And in addition to that, because you did mamar, you are now forbidden to her relatives because it says if you're engaged, once you're engaged, halakhically engaged, so then you become forbidden to her relatives. So you become permitted, forbidden to her relatives even though you already gave a divorce document to the first one. So mamar plays a role after you gave a get. And same thing is true vice versa. Let's say you first did ma'amar to one. You did ma'amar to the first sister-in-law. And then afterwards, you give a divorce document to the other one. So the divorce document is viewed as valid, even though you did ma'amar to the first sister-in-law. Because by giving the divorce document uh, to the to the second sister-in-law, that means that you now have to do chalitza. Once you give a get, so now we have to do chalitza. And not only that, uh, you also become forbidden to... Uh, to the relatives. You become forbidden to the relatives of the one that you gave the get to because once you give the divorce document, it's as if you created a connection and you're separating that connection through the divorce document. So both work in both directions. Ma'amar is viewed as legally valid after you give a get and get is viewed as legally uh, valid after you did a ma'amar even though he holds that if you give a get after a get, if you give a get to one sister-in-law and then you give a get the divorce document to the other sister-in-law, that's not viewed as, the second one is not viewed as halakhically Valid. It's not. It's viewed as as a meaningless act. And so, what does Rav Ashi learn from here? So Rav Ashi says, "I get adif lo lahani mamar abasrei. Be mamar adif lahani get lo lahani get abasrei. Allah shmamina ki adolin enu shmamina." He says that if one was better than the other, if one was really better than the other, uh, so then mamar should not work after you give a get. The rabbinic engagement should not work after you give a divorce document, and vice versa. It, what, at least if one of them is better than the other, so then. Once you do one, so then it shouldn't work for the other. The fact that it is viewed as halakhically valid once you did one shows that they're really equal. And to, to answer the question, he says, is that they're equal, that they have the same level. Even though one has a certain strength and a certain weakness, each of them have a different type of a strength and weakness. In the end of the day, they balance each other out and they're equal. So you could do chalitza to either one. To either one you could do chalitza. And that is the answer of the Gemara, that you could really do chalitza to either one, even though... Again, the case is where a husband passes away with two wives. The live brother gave a get to one, and that has a certain advantage because all you need now is chalitza, and that separates everything. It has a disadvantage because it's a weaker zika, it's a weaker connection once you gave the divorce document. And then he did mamar to the other one. He did he did had a rabbinic engagement with the other one. That creates a stronger connection on the one hand, but on the other hand, more is necessary now to uh, to break that apart. Chalitza and the giving of a divorce document is necessary. Chalitza alone wouldn't work to break everything apart. And so therefore, because each one has a, a strength and a weakness, we say that they're equal. In the end of the day, they balance each other out, and you could do chalitza with either one. That is the conclusion of that Gemara, and that is really the conclusion for now of our discussion of chalitza psula. The Gemara now continues to a new discussion, which connects to our Mishnah. We'll see the connection to our Mishnah in the next recording. Uh, but it does connect to our Mishnah, but it's a new, a new topic. Amr of Huna Amr Rav. Rav says as follows. We have a case of two sisters. They fall to one brother. So, right? So, it's a, it's a case where there were three brothers. Two brothers were married to two sisters. The two brothers were married to two sisters. Reuven and Shimon, they were married to two sisters. Mrs. Reuven and Mrs. Shimon. Reuven and Shimon both pass away. And now, Brother Levi is alive, and he has these two sisters that are in front of him. And we say, 
the law is, based on our Mishnah, that he cannot do even with either one. Uh, let's say because there's a, a Zika, a strong connection, and you're not allowed to marry, it's as if each one is a sister-in-law. And so therefore there's a rabbinic prohibition to do even with either one, and you have to do chalitza. So the law is as follows. If you do chalitza to the first one, she's allowed to marry whoever she wants now. If you do chalitza to the second one, she's also allowed to marry whoever she wants now. That's fairly simple. What's interesting, the next line is what, what, what Rav is coming to teach us uh, an interesting idea. He says, let's say you didn't do chalitza. Let's say mesa rishona. He says as follows. If the case, he says, the case is not where you did chalitza, the case is where, let's say, one of the two sisters pass away. They die before you're able to do yibam or chalitza. So he says, the case is, Ruvain passed away first. So Mrs. Ruvain is now up for chalitza or yibam. And she could do chalitza or yibam because it's perfectly fine. Uh, Shimon did not pass away yet. But then Shimon passes away. And Mrs. Shimon now, uh, there's no option for Yibam to either Mrs. Ruvain or Mrs. Shimon because they are sisters and you cannot do Yibam to either one. So if, let's say, Mrs. Shimon passes away, so basically we have a certain scenario here where Mrs. Ruvain originally could have done Yibam. Once Shimon passed away, she couldn't do Yibam anymore. Now that Mrs. Shimon passes away, now Mrs. Ruvain now could do Yibam. Right, because now that the sister passed away, so now there's no reason why you can't do Yibam. So this is a case where originally it was permissible to do Yibam. There was for a short time or for some time in the middle, uh, there was no option of Yibam. And then after the sister passed away, so then now there is the option of Yibam. So we apply the principle that since originally it was permissible to do Yibam, so therefore, even though for a short time it was not, you were not allowed to do Yibam, still we would say that once it becomes... once the sister passes away, it is permissible to do Yibam in that case. That is what Rav says. Um, that's what Rav says. Rav has an additional point where he says that even if, let's say, Mrs. Ruvain were to pass away, so the case is Ruvain passed away first, Mrs. Ruvain now could do Yibam or Chalitza, then Shimon passes away, and now neither one could do Yibam because now we have two sisters who are up for Yibam and there's no option to do Yibam. Somebody has to do, they have to do chalitza to both. And then Mrs. Ruvain passes away. So even in that case, Mrs. Shimon can now do Yibam. Why is this different? This is different because at the time that Shimon passed away, the moment Mrs. Shimon becomes permissible, uh, become, is a, is, has the option of Yibam or chalitza, at that very moment, there is no option of Yibam. There's really absolutely no option of Yibam. And the reason why there's no option of Yibam is because at that very moment, she was the second one to fall. And at that very moment, she is the sister of the one who has already a connection. It's like she's a sister-in-law. And so therefore, there's no option of Yibam at the very moment that her husband passed away. So one could have said, which we'll see is the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan, that there's a principle which we find elsewhere also, uh, that if at the moment of death of her husband, there's no option of Yibam, so then she remains forbidden forever. And so one could have said that since when her husband passed away, when Shimon passed away, she was forbidden to do Yibam, therefore she should remain forbidden forever. One could have said that. Rav says, we do not say that. Even though we see that elsewhere, we do not apply that in this case. And the Gemara will explain in a minute why we do not apply that in this case. But Rabbi Yochanan argues. Rabbi Yochanan argues in Rav. And Rabbi Yochanan Amar, 
Rabbi Yochanan says, I agree with you with regards to the first case we discussed, uh, that if if uh, Mrs. Shimon passed away, so then Mrs. Ruvain could then do Yibam, because since at the time of death it was permissible for her to do Yibam, because her husband passed away first. So if there comes a point in time where it becomes permissible to do Yibam, she's allowed to do Yibam. But when it regards to the second case we discussed, where Mrs. Ruvain is the one that passes away, and now Mrs. Shimon has potentially the option to do Yibam, no, she doesn't have the option to do Yibam, because since at the time of her husband's death, it was not permissible to do Yibam. So then we say, at the time of death, it's like, uh, it's like uh, there's no option for Yibam at all. Uh, he even he calls it as if, as if uh, she had kids, meaning there's no option for Yibam at all. It's as if she had kids. And it's forbidden to do, to do Yibam. It's like it's an Eishas Ach. It's like it's a sister-in-law where it's forbidden in general to marry your sister-in-law because at the time of death is the defining moment. That's what Yochanan says. And the Gemara asks, even on Rav, why wouldn't you hold it that? That's a principle we find elsewhere. For Rav, Leslie Haisvar, doesn't he have such an idea also? Rav also has the same principle, that if at the time of death, that is the defining moment, at the time of death of her husband, is she allowed to do Yibam? Is she not allowed to do Yibam? If she's not allowed to do Yibam, which is true for Mrs. Shimon, because Shimon passed away second, since she can't do Yibam at the very moment of his death, so therefore, it's forbidden forever to do Yibam, even if a certain scenario comes about where uh, where it would be permissible to do Yibam. Uh, the, the classic case is as follows. Let's say your sister-in-law is also, two brothers marry two sisters. Uh, one brother passes away without any children, so there's no option of Yibam at that very moment, because besides for being your brother's wife, it's also your wife's sister, because two brothers marry two sisters, so it's your wife's sister. So there's a prohibition there, there's no mitzvah of Yibam. But then let's say your wife passes away in between. So if your wife passes away in between, now you are permissible to your sister-in-law. But we say, since at the very moment of the husband's death, she was forbidden to Yibam, therefore that, that applies uh, forever, that, there's a, that, that she's no longer able to do Yibam at all. And that's the typical case. Uh, so how could Rav uh, say differently with regards to our case? So Rav explains as follows. He says, he says very simply, he says that what we're discussing here is a, is a rabbinic decree. On a rabbinic level, that's why you cannot do Yibam in this case. When it's a biblical uh, prohibition, so then it's true. Once there's a biblical prohibition, and at the time of the death, there was a biblical prohibition to do Yibam, then there's no option for Yibam later on. Even if the reasons fall apart, there's no option for Yibam later on. The defining moment is the time of death. But here it's all rabbinic. And since it's all rabbinic, so therefore the defining moment is not the time of death. That if it becomes, if there's an opportunity where uh, the reasons why you couldn't do Yibam fall apart, now you have the option of doing Yibam, so then you could go ahead and do Yibam. That's the opinion of Rab. Rab, Rabbi Yochanan argues. Rabbi Yochanan says, no, even in this case, you cannot do Yibam if at the time of death uh, there, was, uh, there was no option of doing Yibam. And this is an important dispute between Rab and Rabbi Yochanan, uh, which we will discuss, continue to discuss in the next recording.